0: Chapter 33 of Barchester Towers by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom. Chapter 33. Mrs. Proudy Victrix. The next week passed over at Barchester with much apparent tranquillity. The hearts, however, of some of the inhabitants, were not so tranquil as the streets of the city. The poor old dean still continued to live just as Sir Omicron Pye had prophesied that he would do, much to the amazement, and some thought disgust, of Dr Philgrave. The bishop still remained away. He had stayed a day or two in town, and had also remained longer at the archbishop's than he had intended. Mr. Slope had as yet received no line in answer to either of his letters, but he had learnt the cause of this. Sir Nicholas was stalking a deer, or attending the Queen, in the Highlands, and even the indefatigable Mr. Dowers had stolen an autumn holiday, and had made one of the yearly tribe who now ascend Mont Blanc. Mr. Slope learned that he was not expected back till the last day of September. Mrs. Bold was thrown much with the Stanhopes, of whom she became fonder and fonder. If asked, she would have said that Charlotte Stanhope was her especial friend, and so she would have thought. But to tell the truth, she liked Bertie nearly as well. She had no more idea of regarding him as a lover than she would have had of looking at a big tame dog in such a light. Bertie had become very intimate with her, and made little speeches to her, and said little things of a sort very different from the speeches and sayings of other men. But then this was almost always done before his sisters, and he, with his long silken beard, his light blue eyes and strange dress was so unlike other men she admitted him to a kind of familiarity which she had never known with anyone else and of which she by no means understood the danger she blushed once at finding that she had called him bertie and on the same day only barely remembered her position in time to check herself from playing upon him some personal practical joke, to which she was instigated by Charlotte. In all this, Eleanor was perfectly innocent, and Bertie Stanhope could hardly be called guilty, but every familiarity into which Eleanor was entrapped was deliberately planned by his sister. She knew well how to play her game, and played it without mercy she knew none so well what was her brother's character and she would have handed over to him the young widow and the young widow's money and the money of the widow's child without remorse with her pretended friendship and warm cordiality she strove to connect eleanor so closely with her brother as to make it impossible that she should go back even if she wished it But Charlotte Stanhope knew really nothing of Eleanor's character, did not even understand that there were such characters. She did not comprehend that a young and pretty woman could be playful and familiar with a man such as Bertie Stanhope, and yet have no idea in her head, no feeling in her heart, that she would have been ashamed to own to all the world. Charlotte Stanhope did not in the least conceive that her new friend was a woman whom nothing could entrap into an inconsiderate marriage whose mind would have revolted from the slightest impropriety had she been aware that any impropriety existed miss stanhope however had tact enough to make herself and her father's house very agreeable to mrs bold there was with them all an absence of stiffness and formality which was peculiarly agreeable to eleanor after the great dose of clerical arrogance which she had lately been constrained to take she played chess with them walked with them and drank tea with them studied or pretended to study astronomy assisted them in writing stories in rhyme in turning prose tragedy into comic verse or comic stories into would-be tragic poetry. She had no idea before that she had any such talents. She had not conceived the possibility of her doing such things as she now did. She found with the Stanhopes new amusements and employments, new pursuits, which in themselves could not be wrong and which were exceedingly alluring is it not a pity that people who are bright and clever should so often be exceedingly improper and that those who are never improper should so often be dull and heavy now charlotte stanhope was always bright and never heavy but then her propriety was doubtful but during all this time eleanor by no means forgot mr arabin nor did she forget mr slope she had parted from mr arabin in her anger she was still angry at what she regarded as his impertinent interference but nevertheless she looked forward to meeting him again and also looked forward to forgiving him the words that mr arabin had uttered still sounded in her ears she knew that if not intended for a declaration of love they did signify that he loved her, and she felt also that if he ever did make such a declaration, it might be that she should not receive it unkindly. She was still angry with him, very angry with him, so angry that she would bite her lip and stamp her foot as she thought of what he had said and done. Nevertheless, she yearned to let him know that he was forgiven, All that she required was that he should own that he had sinned. She was to meet him at Ullathorne on the last day of the present month. Miss Thorne had invited all the country round to a breakfast on the lawn. There were to be tents and archery and dancing for the ladies on the lawn, and for the swains and girls in the paddock. There were to be fiddlers and fifers, races for the boys, poles to be climbed, Ditches full of water to be jumped over, horse collars to be grinned through. This latter amusement was an addition of the stewards and not arranged by Miss Thorne in the original programme. And every game to be played, which in a long course of reading Miss Thorne could ascertain to have been played in the good days of Queen Elizabeth, everything of more modern growth was to be tabooed if possible. On one subject, Miss Thorne was very unhappy. She had been turning in her mind the matter of a bull-ring, but could not succeed in making anything of it. She would not, for the world, have done or allowed to be done anything that was cruel as to the promoting the torture of a bull for the amusement of her young neighbours. It need hardly be said that Miss Thorne would be the last to think of it, and yet there was something so charming in the name- a bull-ring, however, without a bull. Would only be a memento of the decadence of the times, and she felt herself constrained to abandon the idea. Quintains, however, she was determined to have, and had poles and swivels and bags of flour prepared accordingly. She would no doubt have been anxious for something small in the way of a tournament, but as she said to her brother, that had been tried, and the age had proved itself too decidedly inferior to its forerunners to admit of such a pastime. Mr. Thorne did not seem to participate much in her regret, feeling perhaps that a full suit of chain armour would have added but little to his own personal comfort. This party at Allathorne had been planned in the first place as a sort of welcoming to Mr. Arabin on his entrance into St. Ewold's Parsonage an intended harvest-home gala for the labourers and their wives and children had subsequently been amalgamated with it and thus it had grown to its present dimensions all the plumstead party had of course been asked and at the time of the invitation eleanor had intended to have gone with her sister now her plans were altered and she was going with the Stanups. the proudies were also to be there and as mr slope had not been included in the invitation to the palace the signora whose impudence never deserted her asked permission of miss thorne to bring him this permission miss thorne gave having no other alternative but she did so with a trembling heart fearing mr arabin would be offended immediately on his return she apologized almost with tears So dire an enmity was presumed to rage between the two gentlemen, but Mr. Arabin comforted her by an assurance that he should meet Mr. Slope with the greatest pleasure imaginable, and made her promise that she would introduce them to each other. But this triumph of Mr. Slope's was not so agreeable to Eleanor, who since her return to Barchester had done her best to avoid him she would not give way to the plumstead folk when they so ungenerously accused her of being in love with this odious man but nevertheless knowing that she was so accused she was fully alive to the expediency of keeping out of his way and dropping him by degrees she had seen very little of him since her return her servant had been instructed to say to all visitors that she was out she could not bring herself to specify mr slope particularly and in order to avoid him she had thus debarred herself from all her friends she had accepted charlotte stanhope and by degrees a few others also once she had met him at the stanhope's but as a rule mr slope's visits there were made in the morning and hers in the evening on that one occasion charlotte had managed to preserve her from any annoyance this was very good-natured on the part of charlotte as eleanor thought and also very sharp-witted as eleanor had told her friend nothing of her reasons for wishing to avoid that gentleman the fact however was that charlotte had learnt from her sister that mr slope would probably put himself forward as a suitor for the widow's hand And she was consequently sufficiently alive to the expediency of guarding bertie's future wife from any danger in that quarter nevertheless the stanhope's were pledged to take mr slope with them to ullathorne an arrangement was therefore necessarily made which was very disagreeable to eleanor dr stanhope with herself charlotte and mr slope were to go together and bertie was to follow with his sister madeline it was clearly visible by eleanor's face that this assortment was very disagreeable to her and charlotte who was much encouraged thereby in her own little plan made a thousand apologies i see you don't like it my dear said she but we could not manage otherwise bertie would give his eyes to go with you but madeline cannot possibly go without him nor could we possibly put mr slope and madeline in the same carriage without any one else they'd both be ruined for ever you know and not admitted inside Ullathorne gates i should imagine after such an impropriety of course that wouldn't do said eleanor but couldn't i go in the carriage with the signora and your brother impossible said charlotte "'When she is there, there is only room for two. The signora, in truth, did not care to do her travelling in the presence of strangers. "'Well, then,' said Eleanor, "'you are all so kind, Charlotte, and so good to me, "'that I am sure you won't be offended. "'But I think I'll not go at all.' "'Not go at all? What nonsense! Indeed you shall!' It had been absolutely determined in family council— "'that Bertie should propose on that very occasion.' "'Or I can take a fly,' said Eleanor. "'You know I am not embarrassed by so many difficulties as you young ladies. "'I can go alone. "'Nonsense, my dear, don't think of such a thing. "'After all, it is only for an hour or so. "'And to tell the truth, I don't know what it is you dislike so. "'I thought you and Mr. Slope were great friends. "'What is it you dislike?' "'Oh, nothing particular,' said Eleanor. "'Only I thought it would be a family party. "'Of course it would be much nicer, much more snug, if Bertie could go with us. "'It is he that is badly treated. "'I can assure you he is much more afraid of Mr. Slope than you are. "'But you see Madeline cannot go out without him, and she, poor creature, goes out so seldom.' I'm sure you don't begrudge her this, though her vagary does knock about our own party a little. Of course, Eleanor made a thousand protestations and uttered a thousand hopes that Madeline would enjoy herself. And, of course, she had to give way and undertake to go in the carriage with Mr. Slope. In fact, she was driven either to do this or to explain why she would not do so. Now, she could not bring herself to explain to Charlotte Stanhope all that had passed at Plumstead. But it was to her a sore necessity. She thought of a thousand little schemes for avoiding it. She would plead illness, and not go at all. She would persuade Mary Bold to go, although not asked, and then make a necessity of having a carriage of her own to take her sister-in-law. Anything, in fact, she could do, rather than be seen by mr arabin getting out of the same carriage with mr slope however when the momentous morning came she had no scheme matured and then mr slope handed her into dr stanhope's carriage and following her steps sat opposite to her the bishop returned on the eve of the ullathorne party and was received at home with radiant smiles by the partner of all his cares on his arrival he crept up to his dressing-room with somewhat of a palpitating heart he had overstayed his allotted time by three days and was not without much fear of penalties nothing however could be more affectionately cordial than the greeting he received the girls came out and kissed him in a manner that was quite soothing to his spirit and mrs proudie albeit unused to the melting mood squeezed him in her arms and almost in words called him her dear darling good pet little bishop all this was a very pleasant surprise mrs proudie had somewhat changed her tactics Not that she had seen any cause to disapprove of her former line of conduct, but she had now brought matters to such a point that she calculated that she might safely do so. She had got the better of Mr. Slope, and she now thought well to show her husband that when allowed to get the better of everybody, when obeyed by him, and permitted to rule over others, she would take care that he should have his reward." Mr. Slope had not a chance against her. Not only could she stun the poor bishop by her midnight anger, but she could assuage and soothe him, if she so willed, by daily indulgences. She could furnish his room for him, turn him out as smart a bishop as any on the bench, give him good dinners, warm fires, and an easy life. All this she would do, if he would but be quietly obedient. But if not— To speak sooth, however, his sufferings on that dreadful night had been so poignant as to leave him little spirit for further rebellion. As soon as he had dressed himself, she returned to his room. I hope you enjoyed yourself at Dash said she seating herself on one side of the fire while he remained in his armchair on the other stroking the calves of his legs it was the first time he had had a fire in his room since the summer and it pleased him for the good bishop loved to be warm and cosy yes he said he had enjoyed himself very much nothing could be more polite than the archbishop and mrs archbishop had been equally charming mrs proudie was delighted to hear it nothing she declared pleased her so much as to think her bairn respected like the lave she did not put it precisely in these words but what she said came to the same thing and then having petted and fondled her little man sufficiently she proceeded to business "'The poor dean is still alive,' said she. "'So I hear, so I hear,' said the bishop. "'I'll go to the deanery directly after breakfast to-morrow.' "'We are going to this party at Ullathorne to-morrow morning, my dear. We must be there early, you know, by twelve o'clock, I suppose.' "'Oh, uh, ah,' uh, said the bishop. "'Then I'll certainly call the next day.' "'Was much said about it at Dash?' asked Mrs. Proudy. "'About what?' said the bishop. "'Filling up the dean's place,' said Mrs. Proudy. As she spoke, a spark of the wanted fire returned to her eye, and the bishop felt himself to be a little less comfortable than before. "'Filling up the dean's place—that is, if the dean dies—' "'Very little, my dear. It was mentioned, just mentioned.' "'And what did you say about it, Bishop?' "'Why, I said that I thought that uh, if—that is, uh, should—should the dean die, that is, I said I thought—' As he went on, stammering and floundering, he saw that his wife's eye was fixed sternly on him. Why should he encounter such evil for a man whom he loved so slightly as Mr. Slope? Why should he give up his enjoyments and his ease, and such dignity as might be allowed to him, to fight a losing battle for a chaplain, The chaplain, after all, if successful, would be as great a tyrant as his wife. Why fight at all? Why contend? Why be uneasy? From that moment he determined to fling Mr. Slope to the winds, and take the goods the gods provided. I am told, said Mrs. Proudy, speaking very slowly, that Mr. Slope is looking to be the new dean.' "'Yes, certainly, I believe he is,' said the bishop. "'And what does the archbishop say about that?' asked Mrs. Proudy. "'Well, my dear, to tell the truth, I promised Mr. Slope to speak to the archbishop. Mr. Slope spoke to me about it.' "'It is very arrogant of him, I must say, but that is nothing to me.' "'Arrogant?' said Mrs. Proudy. "'It is the most impudent piece of pretension I ever heard of in my life. Mr. Slope, Dean of Barchester, indeed! And what did you do in the matter, Bishop?' "'Why, my dear, I did speak to the Archbishop. You—' don't mean to tell me said mrs proudie that you are going to make yourself ridiculous by lending your name to such a preposterous attempt as this mr slope dean of barchester indeed and she tossed her head and put her arms akimbo with an air of confident defiance that made her husband quite sure that mr slope never would be dean of barchester In truth, Mrs. Proudie was all but invincible. Had she married Petruchio, it may be doubted whether that arch-wife-tamer would have been able to keep her legs out of those garments which are presumed by men to be peculiarly unfitted for feminine use. It is preposterous, my dear. Then why have you endeavoured to assist him?' Uh, why my dear i haven't assisted him much but why have you done it at all why have you mixed your name up in anything so ridiculous what was it you did say to the archbishop why i just did mention it i just did say that uh, that in the event of the poor dean's death uh, mr slope would uh, would would what i forget how i put it Uh, would take it if he could get it something of that sort i didn't say much more than that you shouldn't have said anything at all and what did the archbishop say he didn't say anything he just bowed and rubbed his hands somebody else came up at the moment and as we were discussing the new parochial universal school committee the matter of the new dean dropped after that i didn't think it wise to renew it renew it i am very sorry you ever mentioned it what will the archbishop think of you you may be sure my dear the archbishop thought very little about it but why did you think about it bishop how could you think of making such a creature as that dean of barchester dean of barchester i suppose he'll be looking for a bishopric some of these days a man that hardly knows who his own father was a man that i found without bread to his mouth or a coat to his back dean of barchester indeed i'll dean him mrs proudie considered herself to be in politics a pure whig all her family belonged to the whig party now among all ranks of englishmen and englishwomen Mrs. Proudie should, I think, be ranked among the former on the score of her great strength of mind. No one is so hostile to lowly-born pretenders to high station as the pure Whig. The bishop thought it necessary to exculpate himself. "'Why, my dear,' said he, "'it appeared to me that you and Mr. Slope did not get on quite so well as you used to do.' "'Get on?' said Mrs. Proudie. Moving her foot uneasily on the hearthrug and compressing her lips in a manner that betokened much danger to the subject of their discourse, I began to find that he was objectionable to you, Mrs. Proudie's foot worked on the hearth-rug with great rapidity, and that you would be more comfortable if he was out of the palace. Mrs. Proudie smiled as a hyena may probably smile before he begins his laugh. And therefore I thought that if he got this place, and so ceased to be my chaplain, you might be pleased at such an arrangement. And then the hyena laughed out. Pleased at such an arrangement? Pleased at having her enemy converted into a deed with twelve hundred a year?' medea when she describes the customs of her native country i am quoting from Robson's edition assures her astonished auditor that in her land captives when taken are eaten you pardon them says medea we do indeed says the mild grecian we eat them says she of colchis with terrific energy Mrs. Proudie was the Medea of Barchester. She had no idea of not eating Mr. Slope. Pardon him! Merely get rid of him, make a dean of him. It was not so they did with their captives in her country, among people of her sort. Mr. Slope had no such mercy to expect. She would pick him to the very last bone. Oh, yes, my dear, of course he'll cease to be your chaplain said she, after what has passed, that must be a matter of course. I couldn't for a moment think of living in the same house with such a man. Besides, he has shown himself quite unfit for such a situation, making broils and quarrels among the clergy, getting you, my dear, into scrapes, and taking upon himself as though he were as good as bishop himself. Of course he'll go.' "'but because he leaves the palace that is no reason why he should get into the deanery.' "'Oh, of course not,' said the bishop. "'But to save appearances, you know, my dear—' "'I don't want to save appearances. "'I want Mr. Slope to appear just what he is—a false, designing, mean, intriguing man. "'I have my eye on him.' He little knows what I see. He is misconducting himself in the most disgraceful way with that lame Italian woman. That family is a disgrace to Barchester, and Mr. Slope is a disgrace to Barchester. If he doesn't look well to it, he'll have his gown stripped off his back, instead of having a dean's hat on his head. Dean, indeed! The man has gone mad with arrogance!" the bishop said nothing further to excuse either himself or his chaplain and having shown himself passive and docile was again taken into favour they soon went to dinner and he spent the pleasantest evening he had had in his own house for a long time his daughter played and sang to him as he sipped his coffee and read his newspaper and mrs proudie asked good-natured little questions about the archbishop, and then he went happily to bed and slept as quietly as though Mrs. Proudie had been Griselda herself. While shaving himself in the morning and preparing for the festivities of Ullathorne, he fully resolved to run no more tilts against a warrior so fully armed at all points as was Mrs. Proudie. End of chapter 33 Recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom